Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Potvin, and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Taylor Owasco. Taylor is a soon-to-be nurse practitioner and a mental health advocate. She is also the owner of the adorable Benson, who is a Labradoodle currently in training to be a therapy dog. Taylor was so much fun to have on, and I really want to thank her again for coming on and having this discussion with me. And man, shout out to Canada. A couple days ago, it was like five degrees Celsius. It felt like springtime. You could wear a t-shirt, and then literally the next morning, it was freaking snowing. Again, a blizzard. I love it. I love Canada. This is great. Thank you. Thank you, Mother Nature, for continuing to just make my day with the beautiful, beautiful weather. And if you couldn't tell, that was all sarcasm. My thoughts and prayers with all you Canadians who aren't big fans of the snow like myself. Now, before we get into the episode today, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so looking forward to it too. So the first question I ask all my guests is what got you started? So for you, what got you started being a nurse and being a mental health advocate? Yeah. So it's a, an, kind of a loaded, loaded answer. And I think it's important to kind of take you back to how young I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it started, um, not sure in Canada, but Sadie Hawkins dance. I was a freshman in high school. Um, we were having a great night. I was 15 years old and I was first exposed to a death by suicide, um, of a close friend. And we, we found out that night among our classmates that we had lost a classmate and friend. Um, and obviously as a 15 year old, you're not, you're not sure how to go about that um, and kind of how to process those, those feelings and emotions. So then for the months after that, it was really hard. You look to adults for what you should do and the, the stigma of mental health kind of shut everything down. Um, we didn't really want to talk about it. Uh, we were told not to talk about it. Um, and then Fast forward to five months later, um, I lost one of my best friends to death by suicide. Um, so there in a matter of six months, um, at 15 years old, I had lost two friends. Yeah. Um, and really that was that second one is when I kind of decided adults don't tell me what to do anymore when it comes to talking about mental health and talking about suicide prevention and talking about that really, really tough stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So then kind of throughout high school, I dove into what can I do to inform my classmates about mental health and wellness? What can we do to prevent this from happening again among our community, our school, just teenagers in general? Um, and on the nursing, nursing side of it, my mom was a nurse growing up. Um, and so I told her I would never be a nurse. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, but as I got more involved with mental health advocacy and, you know, organized walks and organized events, um, to just, just talk about it. Um, I realized that nursing was something that I could kind of meld into the best of both worlds. Um, and I had convinced myself that I was going to be a psychiatric uh, nurse. Mm-hmm. I was going to work in mental health. Um, and I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. Um, went to college. I uh, was fortunate enough to get involved with the National Alliance on Mental Illness um, here they, they're a national organization, but have state, local, and then campus organizations. So I, I led that group at the University of Wisconsin. Um, 
started some support groups right there on campus for individuals that identify as having a mental illness, mm -hmm. um, but also advocates and allies and um, got a, a suicide prevention organization started up while I was in college, graduated college, um, ended up actually in adult cardiac nursing. Uh, spoiler, I also am not a fan of adults. <laughs> and, who is? Yeah, who is? Like kids rock. Um, about a year into that, made my way into pediatric cardiac nursing, um, critical care, and realized that I, I love pediatrics and the thrill that I got from mental health advocacy and being there for others and spreading this knowledge um, and just building people up was the same thrill that I could get as a critical care nurse and um, really serving these patients and families and building their mental health up even though they're not realizing it because they're focused on the physical condition of their child. Mm. Um, then, Ended up in nurse practitioning school. I'll be done in May. Um, yeah, I'm so close, so close. Um, not quite sure where where that will bring me. It's my my licensure will be pediatrics. Um, not quite sure what what specialty will pull me. Um, but I think through this all, having a comfort and a knowledge of mental health and how I can weave that into pretty much every conversation I have with people um, has brought me like joy and, and I'll keep doing that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's what a great story and long, best, one. long one. No, but I love long stories. No, that's perfect. So I wanted to backpedal a little bit back to high school when, you know, all of this stuff was going on when you're 16, correct me if I'm wrong, you're in grade 10, right? At the ninth. Ninth you were grade. ninth grade. Okay. So that's, that's very young. And in ninth uh, grade, you're trying to figure out who the hell you are uh, yes. and how to navigate life. <laughs> you're in this new school. It's terrifying. Now, when you started getting into the work of trying to teach your classmates and the people around you about mental health and about suicide prevention and all of that, what was the original reception like? Because I, I don't know how old you are, obviously, but if I go back for me personally, when I was in grade nine, no one talked about it. And if people did talk about it, I mean, I say it on the podcast all the time, the people who, you know, were on, you know, suicide watch or had tried before or did try, they were labeled in a very negative light. So what was the reception like originally? It was awful. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm 27. This happened when I was 15. So 12 years ago, um, it was late 2009. And then middle of 2010 was when I lost my friends. Um, and, and like I had kind of shared, like, we thought the adults were going to tell us how to do this right. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I found and had a couple close enough friends who were willing to kind of hop on the bandwagon with me <laughs> of saying like, we can talk about this. Um, we found that we kind of had to forge our own way because we didn't, I mean, you had access to the internet, but still back then mental health, the good stuff wasn't out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you start talking about this and people start to wonder, well, are you struggling? Should we watch you? No, I'm talking about this because I want people to not struggle. Yeah. And I want them to know it's okay to struggle, but to tell us. Um, and so I think I, I, I use the story of, do you remember the Livestrong um, like wristbands that used yeah. to go around like those rubbery wristbands? Right. They're like have. yellow and black or. Yeah. 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 So we would make those for everything under the sun, you know, sports or whatever. Well, we made them as fundraisers for the families of our friends um, who had died and we couldn't have them at school. Really? Because it was a reminder and a fear of the adults in our life at the time that there would be another death. And, mm. and so, yeah, we, you know, people were labeled negatively. We were quieted. Um, it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's one unfortunate thing that I've actually 
experienced in discussion is this idea that once we normalize, you know, um, suicide prevention and we normalize mental illness and we normalize mental health challenges, then it's going to create more because more people will want to hop on that bandwagon. And my only response is it's not a bandwagon. You know, people need to talk about this. It's not a trend. <laughs> like people, people are trying to take their life because they don't have any other option. Like, yes. Such a strange way to look at it. Yeah. And I, and I think in some ways I now am old enough to reflect that I'm glad that I had that experience because it fueled my fire. Right. You know, it fueled me to say, you all are acting how I don't want to act. <laughs> and, and I want to do something about this. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you were in that moment, was that thought originally in your head or did that come after reflecting? I think, I think it's kind of twofold. Um, mm -hmm. I was a teenager who didn't take no for an answer. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at that point, it was probably fueled from anger um, and, and probably unhealthy coping and, and grief and, you know, all the things that teenagers can't quite process. Mm -hmm. um, but a few years later, I was able to say like, I'm glad I had to do that. Like, I'm glad I had to push against those barriers um, to kind of get where I wanted to get. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and to share that message. Yeah, now, now doing this advocacy work all throughout high school, did you notice a change when you were in your grade 12 year leaving compared to your grade nine year? I think so, and, and not necessarily um, within like, the school district or the school, but within my classmates. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there was just, I mean, there was a, we bonded over that. Like we were all in a group that we didn't ask to be in. You know, we were part of that team that had lost a classmate and two classmates. Um, and so I think as a class to be able to talk about mental health and acknowledge each other's mental health, um, and support each other when, when we needed it. And then that trickled down, it trickled into the classes underneath us. Hmm. Um, and, and now I've been fortunate enough to go back to that very high school and share my story and, and talk with them. So I can say there's been big, big change, but it, it took time. Yeah, no, that's a huge change that you can go to the school and they invite you to share your mental health story. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> looking back and they wouldn't even let you have a bracelet and now you're allowed to share your story. I love that. Yeah. I love everything about that. And you know, the story that you just shared is a perfect example of how it starts with not, I don't want to say the older generation, but it starts with us essentially to keep the conversation going with the younger ones. Because when you can look up to someone who's sharing a story like that, it's a lot less intimidating to open up about your own stuff because you're Absolutely. like, Oh, it's, it's been done before. Yes. Yeah, and, and I had the opportunity, I mean, to stand in this auditorium that I had been a high schooler, I had sat in that auditorium, um, learning about who knows what, mm -hmm. but to share my knowledge of mental health, and then have this really great open discussion with these students, um, and to see the teachers and the counselors and, and the principal interact with them and have that discussion about mental health was something that I never would have gotten to have. And so that was just, I mean, incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, when you left high school and went off to study nursing, how did, did the advocacy work that you did, did it kind of translate well into university or was it still kind of a challenge to push into people? I think it was easier in college. It was easier at university. And I think part of that is because I started young. I brought what I had learned with me, but when everyone's finding their place in college, um, and, and I think people are more willing to kind of speak up mm -hmm. about what, what they might be passionate about or feel like. Um, and I was fortunate to land in a big university. I mean, there was over, over 40,000 people there wow. um, that already had these small student organizations um, which grew while I was there, which was really cool to watch, um, but that were focused on mental health and advocacy. So I could learn from them 
um, and I didn't have to learn on my own. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. We we had a couple groups at my university as well, but I don't I don't think I ever really like appreciated them enough until near the end of my university experience. Like they were always there and I was always kind of like, "Uh, you don't need you don't need that." And then when yeah. you start going on your own personal journey or whatever, yeah. you're like, "Oh, wow. I love that there's these things. I think more kids need to use these resources." Yes. Yes. And I, and I think it was really cool. Um, University of Wisconsin really, really supports like those first couple of weeks as a freshman finding organizations you like you love and, and also things that might make you uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, what, you know, you're growing up, you're 18, like what might make you uncomfortable? What might help you find your path? Um, So that first week, second week on campus, I attended, you know, these meetings about mental health and suicide prevention, in addition to like snowboarding groups and, you know, (laughs) um, but to really just kind of find my people. Um, And I found that the mental health focused orgs were my people and, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I was 18, what didn't make me uncomfortable? I was trying so hard to be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and there you were kind of a number because it was so big. Right. So how were you going to give a name to that number? And that's kind of how I looked at it with advocacy. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Now, is there anything that you would, if you were to go back to yourself in grade nine, is there anything that any kind of advice that you would give grade nine, you knowing what you know now about the whole mental health advocacy? I think just, it probably would have been, like start sooner and don't listen to no. Um, I think it took, it took losing the second friend. Um, and it, you, you know, when you're a suicide loss survivor, you always like, what if, what could we have done? Right. And, and, you know, like I've grown a lot from that and stopped asking that question. Um, because the answer is usually nothing. Um, and, and so, but it, you know, start sooner, start talking about it. Don't, don't allow the stigmas and, um, your classmates looking at you, like you're kind of crazy. You're talking about something we're not supposed to talk about. Don't let that stop you. Mm, Yeah. I love that. The, the, what ifs, man, it's, there's such a pain in the butt because it's an, it's an, 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 wow, I can't speak. It's an inevitable question that you just your brain just asks you like what if i did this it's like, well, you can't you have to stop looking at it that way yes and it's hard it's hard and especially when you're young and your brain is immature and you're thinking about should i have invited that person somewhere or should i have said this in sixth hour choir you know yeah it's it's hard to overcome that yeah absolutely when when this whole thing was happening, we talk about, you know, your advocacy work and raising awareness, but for you personally, losing someone as close as a best friend to suicide, how did you over the years overcome that kind of, well, I can't, I don't know about you, but you know, there were students in my university that, you know, took their life from suicide and I I barely knew them. And Mm -hmm. still, I found a way to one, blame myself and two, just look at life in a negative way. Like, Oh, nothing even matters. Like kids my age are taking their life. So why should I care for you having someone as close as your best friend, you know, experience that tragedy. How were you able to get through those negative thoughts? Um, unfortunately I have had a lot of experience with death. Mm -hmm. Um, just losing, you know, family members to illness um, and not necessarily mental health. Um, and so by the time I had lost my friends, you know, many 15 year olds haven't attended a funeral. Um, I had attended more than I, I, I wish to admit, um, and still have since that time. And I think, um, you like never really get over grief, but you kind of learn how to navigate grief a little bit differently. Um, I think, my, so I, I had shared that my mom was a nurse. Well, she was a school nurse in the district that I went to school. Mm. Um, and she, bless her heart, fueled my fire and um, kind of 
when I was told to be quiet by adults in the district, she kind of said, like, I'm not going to stop her. Yeah. Um, go, <laughs> yeah. Um, even though like it, it was a hairy time because she was working there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she kind of helped. She knew that that's what I needed to kind of get through that loss um, was to give back and to get like, give something to others, which still is my coping mechanisms for everything. When I'm hurting, I give, and it kind of, that's just how it, how it, how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's really how I processed it was, you know, unfortunately we can't bring these people back. I, I will process grief, but how will I process it? And advocacy was my way to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about them, it was my biggest pet peeve when people wouldn't say their names or wouldn't share their stories. Yeah, that because, and it's all in like a good, good faith, good heart because they don't want to bring it up again. But that's you have to let's you have to have these uncomfortable discussions because if you just kind of let that go. It, I mean, you have to let that, the, like you said, the feelings of grief go and everything. But if you let that whole experience go, then you, there's no lesson. Yeah. You don't learn anything. No. Um, and so my favorite and like still to this day, my favorite questions about anyone I've lost um, are always like, what was your favorite thing about them? Or, you know, what were experiences that you loved? And it, it's kind of like, my friendships with them stopped when I was 15 Mm -hmm. even though you imagined futures you know with these friends and so it's really it's fun to reflect I think um and is 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 helpful to me um I know that that is not helpful to everyone right yeah no I I, I'm the same way because I've experienced um a couple funerals myself I was a little older um I was in university but I don't think I realized how much it had impacted me because they were close family members. I don't think I realized how much it impacted me until we started sharing those stories. And I was like, oh, there's a lot to unpack here. Like I, I kind of just suppressed how I felt about this whole thing. And, but you know, the conversations and the experiences that we like my family shared with each other, it got it out. And I think that's important because you take away that whole, I've had this conversation on the podcast before about the whole idea of death and how, we in the Western world kind of just push it away and don't want to talk about it. And it's like this weird taboo thing. But yeah. I think the more we talk about it and the more we just bring up those conversations about, oh, she used to do this, he used to do that. It, it's very beneficial. Yeah. It's in many ways healing, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and I think you bring up how we process it in the Western world. Elsewhere, it is healing to them to think about death and afterlife and those types of things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're still in nursing school right now. Yep. To be an NP. Yep. So exciting. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing? Cause in Minnesota, I don't know what the regulations are, but over here in Ontario, it, it's all online schooling. Um, it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our kids younger, like K through 12, um, it's district to district, what it looks like right now. Um, are they in person or are they online? Um, university is a little bit the same. It depends on your program. Mm-hmm. Um, now getting my doctorate and being so close to the end, there's a lot of requirements that have to occur in person. Um, for example, being in clinic and providing care to people right? Yeah. Um, to learn. <laughs> so I'm about, I'm about 75% in person, 25% online. Um, But it's kind of, it changes week by week. And almost my entire um, doctoral education has been like that because I I started in September of 2019 and then COVID hit in March of 2020. So, right. Then lots of navigating. Oh yeah, I can imagine. How how were you able to actually no, I'm gonna ask that later. What made you decide to get a therapy dog? Oh gosh, Benson. <laughs> um so it's <laughs> kind of a funny story. So I got married to my husband Ryan in February of 2020. Um 
and we had kind of decided we were going to get a dog, you know, shortly after we got married. On our wedding day, the puppy that we had wanted was spoken for. And on our flight to Indonesia, yes, we were living in a little sheltered bubble that COVID didn't exist, even though it was raging mm -hmm. at the time. Um, we had decided we're not going to get a puppy. We're going to wait. Well, we got stuck in Indonesia on our honeymoon. We got home. I was quarantined because we had gone through South Korea. And so I was not allowed back in the hospitals right. or clinics or anything. Um, and I was stuck for 14 days and I decided we were going to get a puppy. So, <laughs> and, and when I had searched, um, you know, what kind of dog we wanted, I knew I wanted a therapy dog um, in the, in the long run. Um, and so we ended up getting the brother of the puppy that we originally wanted which has turned out great because mm -hmm. Benson is he aims to please he loves people um and he has just I mean loved his therapy therapy training journey as have I even though it's been challenging at times he is about as stubborn as I am which is <laughs> very um and I I knew when we first got him, my goals were someday I want to bring him to work with me. Um, and I think that goal is still there, but I also have now seen how much he gives back to not only my husband and I's mental health and keeping us going through all of this, but also strangers on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. that's how we, you know, came to be. Um, and also just... I think I'm realizing that my advocacy efforts have been dampened by COVID um, and kind of, I'm not able to get out there and do things anymore. Um, so I want to use him again as a team and get back out there um, and, and kind of work in that mental health realm as volunteers. Mm -hmm. had, had you ever had any uh, experience or um, interactions with therapy dogs before Benson? Yeah. Um, actually, at, at, at university, we would work with a therapy dog organization and we would bring like five, 10 dogs in to events where we would have hundreds of college students yep. <laughs> come and just <laughs> love on these dogs. So that's, that's one of the first times I think that I was like, I could do that. We could have one of those. Right. Was that during exams? Because my university did something very similar exams, midterms, um, just being involved in the mental health orgs, I would bring them to random meetings because who doesn't want to snuggle a puppy? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that, that was always the best news. And that was the only reason I got excited for exam season. Everything else was just, you could oh. keep it. I don't want it. I, I don't want these exams. But as soon as I saw that poster for dog cuddling session, I, I, I was like, let's go. We have to go. I would bring my friends. We'd sign up right away. I'd make sure we had a spot. Man, so many puppies. Yes. Yeah. So he, he and I have um, just our test left to take. He has passed his good canine citizen um, test, which basically says he is an appropriate dog out in public. <laughs> Although sometimes he's still rowdy. Um, and then, and then his, his final test to be a therapy or our final test to be a therapy dog team, um, will hopefully happen sometimes this spring. It was supposed to happen in November. Um, but it just got delayed. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the challenges that come with this little bundle of joy that Benson is? Oh my gosh. He He's, he's kind of a punk. He has challenged <laughs> us. Um, in many ways, I was like, I'm the strict parent. I will always be the strict parent. Um, but like, he looks at you and you're like, fine, get in bed. You don't need to crate train. You know, like yep. <laughs> he, he's not crate trained. Um, we have struggled, you know, and it's funny him being a therapy dog. We've struggled a lot with his separation anxiety um, because he's a COVID puppy. Um, he, he didn't have despite me working 12 hour night shifts when we first brought him home and being a student, um, he didn't have to be alone for the first nine months of his life mm -hmm. because we were able to just kind of navigate our shift working um, around 
not leaving him alone, which did we cause that? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, We've struggled with that quite a bit. We've this last kind of semester, he's, he's grown a lot and can now stay home up to nine hours on his own. So that's big. Amazing. Um, training has been easy with him because he is, um, he aims to please and, and he knows, he knows when we're not happy with him or happy (laughs) with how, how training is going. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's been fun. I think times when we are struggling just as humans, um, we're able to just kind of throw ourselves into him and he he gives back to us. Yeah, no, I was actually just going to ask like in your personal experience, like you and your husband, what are, what are some of the, cause you hear it all the time that therapy dogs and therapy pets are, you know, very, very good for our mental health. But for you personally, what are some of like the emotional benefits that you've experienced? Well, aside from like, I could go down the whole like neurotransmitter and tell you all about how in your brain it actually works. Um, sure, <laughs> you can. I would love to. There's there's lots of research about how just simply petting a dog or cuddling with a dog will release that serotonin in your brain that that happy that happiness. Um, and so, I mean, I I can. There's times where it's like I don't even want to get out of bed. I mean. And he doesn't give you that choice. Like you have to go walk the dog. (laughs) And then, and then once you've gotten up, you're like, okay, I can pet him. And then you can feel that you can feel that in yourself. Um, So I think in many ways he gives, he gives to our mental and emotional health health um, because we don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a choice. You, you have to get up. And I think, um, so like, as I've shared with you, like get, caring and giving back is something that like keeps me going and keeps me healthy. And I think for people that are struggling with mental health, caring for something, um, can really serve them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're walking him, you're feeding him, you're bathing him, you are playing with him. Um, I think all of those have helped us kind of get through COVID. Yeah, I can imagine. I the whole topic of therapy animals, and I mentioned this with you through Instagram. It's just I love talking about it because I've always been a big fan of animals, and to finally see people acknowledge the fact that they're awesome is great. Um, but one of the, it's like my when I was looking up benefits to therapy animals and all of this stuff. By far, my favorite study that they did. Um, they they had a I think it was around fifty. Uh, students or something and they told them about a stressful situation and the stressful situation was they told each student you're gonna have to pet a tarantula in the other room (laughs) which for most people is pretty stressful yeah yeah. Uh, I had a pet tarantula so it wouldn't matter but yeah we don't have to get into that but um so I think uh, I'm gonna butcher it but some of them were petting a real life animal and it was you know it varied from dogs to bunnies to turtles and the other uh, portion of them were petting a plush toy and the ones who were petting the actual animal even if it was a freaking turtle yeah <laughs> experienced less anxiety and stress about the situation so right there it's just showing you visible proof that yeah. these animals bring so much comfort yeah yeah we were asked um so I do like a Tuesday morning coffee chat with a friend that I met via Instagram who um, actually is also a suicide loss survivor. And, and we just chat on Tuesday mornings. And sometimes we talk about social media. Sometimes we talk about mental health. Sometimes we talk about our dogs. And last week, one of the questions actually really got us thinking. And it was like, how, um, you know, like we know these benefits of dogs and, and animals giving to us, but how can we give to them? Like, mm-hmm. how, how does that work? And I, it got me thinking because I think many of the feelings they give us, we give them. Right. Um, and, and so I thought the answer was going to be harder than it was. <laughs> yeah. Right. Never know. We don't know, you know, we don't know what they're thinking, but, um, we like to assume. Yeah, of course. And that there was something I heard where, uh, dogs dream about pleasing their owner. I don't know if that's yeah. true, but that's got to be the 
the funniest and sweetest thing I've ever heard. Yes, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, watching Benson Dream is hilarious. Oh, does he bark in his sleep and everything? He barks, he whines, he runs, he like licks things. He he's creative. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love animals and everything. Now, for people who are for people who are listening, because I know when I was at university, therapy animals were huge. Like it was a big thing at my university. But I think a lot of people, because it was very easy to sign up and register for a therapy animal. But a lot of people who did, didn't really think about it at first. They kind of just signed up because they were like, I want a puppy. And they would have yeah. this little black lab and it's adorable. But there's a lot of work that comes with that. So you who have gone, who's gone through it, what is some advice that you would give to young people or not young people, but just people who are in the beginning stages of that process. Yeah. So I think in many ways too, like, I think it's important to talk about like the difference between like emotional support animals and then therapy animals. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think, and unfortunately, um, the emotional support animal title is kind of losing its credibility and the benefits of it. You know, you used to be able to, um, have really any diagnoses under the sun and qualify for having an emotional support animal that could travel on planes with you or um you know you could bypass some of those restrictions for living um you know apartment apartments that didn't allow dogs you know mm -hmm. if you could um if you kind of qualified for an emotional support animal you could have one so then unfortunately in 2021 um, here in the United States, they got rid of kind of some of that legislation with travel. And so you've seen a lot of people start to train service dogs, which is a whole nother can of worms. Right. Um, but therapy dogs, um, not only are they, they're, they're trained to serve others. So, but by default, they're serving their owner as well, because they have started, you know, they've started to develop these skills. It takes a lot of time and it takes the right dog I think mm -hmm. um we started training things like obedience um the day he came home so eight weeks we he learned how to sit he learned how to you know lay down he we started learning tricks even because a lot of therapy work is just interacting with a client and or a patient or a child whoever wherever and you are um so it starts with obedience and then it starts you start to learn more tasks and skills and a lot about therapy work is also the demeanor of your dog. Mm -hmm. Um, does anything really phase them? Benson, <laughs> we we've been doing renovations in our house since he came home. Um, we've used jackhammers on concrete and he sleeps through it. Wow. Um, he has had his trainer, um, put two symbols together above his head and he just looks at her like, was that necessary? <laughs> Um, so I think if, if your, if your hope is to have a therapy dog starting when they're a puppy, they don't have to be, but it helps, um, because you can start to kind of expose and desensitize them to so many things that they might come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where do you think the line is drawn? Because there's therapy animals everywhere. And with the rise of popularity, you're seeing the obvious, the dog, the cat, the bunny, but I don't know if you saw that headline of the lady with a, a peacock on the airplane. <laughs> she got kicked off because she's like, this is my this is my service animal. Like, yeah. where where does that line get drawn in your opinion? Well, it's it's so I, it's a hairy topic, I think. No pun intended as we're talking about animals. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think if you get to the true definition of a service animal, um, service animals have to have they have to perform tasks for their owner. Um, and they also have to, or they have to detect. So you'll, you'll see service animals in the realm of, for example, anxiety. Um, these service dogs are trained to detect an anxiety or a panic attack mm -hmm. to hopefully prevent it from occurring. Um, on the flip side, therapy um, dogs are serving others rather than their owner. Um, but I think to draw that line by definition, service 
animals are dogs only. Yeah. Um, whereas this emotional support animal is where you had miniature horses getting on planes yeah, and right. snakes and ferrets and, you know, and so it's like, and, and who am I to say that that cat or that ferret is not serving their owner the way Benson serves me? I don't know. Yeah. Right. We, we, yeah. We, uh, I worked at a zoo and oh my gosh, yeah, cool. and one and one of the uh in our in our training they were talking about which like service animals are allowed on site and they had a list of all the banned ones and you've got things like elephant and tiger and I was like why is this on here like did this happen like has someone brought yeah, a cool. service <laughs> elephant <laughs> I guess I mean I mean Usually someone has to uh, uh, to do something to make a, a rule happen. That's what I mean. Like, I mean, with tigers, you see Tiger King and everything. But could you yeah. imagine someone pulling up to a therapy session no. with an elephant? No, it'd be great, though. Like, I'd snuggle with an elephant. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there, I feel like there's cheaper alternatives, like a dog. There are. <laughs> cleaner, too. Yeah. No, I think I think it's hard. And I think it's like the question of the century at this point when it comes to emotional support animals, therapy animals, and service animals, and, and their owners and their, you know, guides and whatever. And it's, I think everyone's kind of trying to navigate that and how, how I think the big question too, is how do you support service animals and how do you ensure that they can safely go out in public and serve their owner? Mm -hmm. Um, while we see this rise in popularity of therapy dogs and emotional support animals. Right. And, and it's hard. It's, it's really hard to kind of draw that line. I mean, I'm guilty of saying like, okay, maybe we should just task train Benson so he can be a service dog because then he's, he's not like no, nowhere can discriminate against him Mm -hmm. and say he can't come. And and so I think it's hard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. And I mean, even as we're doing this conversation, my brain is flipping because I feel like all these terms are so close together and yet so different. Yes. And, and really, uh, the way I try to like kind of differentiate it for people as they're starting to learn about this is the only term that's technically protected, um, are service dogs. They are, they are the only ones. Um, and I guess I don't know legislation in Canada, but they're the only ones that are protected under the American Disability Act um, mm. as kind of a, for lack of a better term, they're like a wheelchair to, yeah. the, to an individual that needs them. Um, they, are, they are a device. Um, and so, whereas therapy dogs, they are, um, they are allowed where pets are allowed. So there's certain stores that may allow pets. Um, and then therapy dogs are allowed where they are invited. Mm. So, um, you know, universities will invite therapy dogs to the university, but you technically can't have your pet just in class. With you. Right. Um, or you may be invited to do therapy work out of state and you can ask an airline for an invitation to allow your therapy dog to, you know, fly in the cabin, not having to pay for it, you know? And so there's, there's unfortunately a lot of loopholes too that make mm-hmm. it even more confusing right yeah i actually in university i I'm, i hate to admit it but i tried to register my bearded dragon as a therapy animal <laughs> because i didn't want to leave her yes. <laughs> I, I wanted to bring her to exams and everything. it didn't work out but that's awesome because <laughs> i went i went in and i was like it, what like how do i sign up they're like you have to have a legit reason like you can't just want your bearded dragon here she's my support dragon <laughs> yeah, i was like <laughs> She, she takes care of me. And then she's like wandering off and not listening to me at all. I'm like, yeah, it's, I forgot it's a lizard. Yeah. Hey, you never know. You could teach it to like get you a drink or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you could. I didn't, but rest <laughs> in peace to her. Um, how did you, how did you find, or I guess you're still going through it. Like, how are you finding a balance between teaching and raising Benson and then nursing? Um, I think it's a lot of things that I enjoy and I've always kind of been someone who needs to be busy. 
Um, and, and so, but if I get too into something, I start to not like it. Right. <laughs> like this is awful to admit, but right now in the world we're living in, nursing's not that enjoyable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's hard to like that right now. Um, but then on the flip side, like I teach at the university and, and seeing up and coming nurses proves to me that I still like nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I fit, I fit things in where they kind of serve me. Um, I had not intended to actually start therapy training formally with Benson until I graduated in May. So he would have been about two and a half. Um, and then I, um, unexpectedly lost my aunt last, um, April mm-hmm. And so I was kind of going through grief all over again, um, in a, in a different way. Um, and I had seen that I could get him into a therapy, uh, therapy dog team training class, um, last July. And I was kind of in this gray area of school where it wasn't super intense. I had taken some time off work. Um, and so I just threw us into it and, and it turned into an incredibly, healing and fulfilling process, um, for the both of us selfishly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, and so, yeah, I just, I kind of just make it work. Um, and I put the time where I can put it and I have, I've learned to say no as well a little bit, not that great at it. Um, right. But, uh, just kind of knowing, you know, no, we can't, you know, we can't do therapy work this week. We, I need to focus on something else and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. setting those boundaries yeah yeah that's important i i love it what, what's the sorry you already mentioned it but when when does benson do his final when do you guys do your final class hopefully this spring sometime we'll do his final test he's mm-hmm. he's through all the classes um but i just had probably the hardest semester i've ever had in the fall and so we need to practice a little bit um before we go you you know you have to pay for every test you take and so I want to make sure we go into it (laughs) prepared so I don't have to keep paying for it right yeah Um, and I also think too and this is something I kind of forgot to bring up when you you had asked uh where do people start with you know therapy work um through our entire journey I have said that if we you know he's done great with training he he does great. We bring Benson everywhere we can bring him. Um, he loves people. But if we get into volunteer training work and he shows me that he doesn't enjoy it and he doesn't like it, we'll be done. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's something to go into it knowing as well that if either you or the dog start to not enjoy this, you are a team and kind of have to respect each other. Um, and I think that that's one caveat as people start to get into therapy dog training and therapy dog work is is knowing that your journey might end before you want it to um if someone doesn't like it but it also could be incredibly great and go places you didn't expect right yeah no that's great advice because yeah you go in and you just expect it to work out yeah no and it might not (laughs) it might and it might not just like the rest of life (laughs) yeah exactly so um taylor my last question for you uh, if anyone's listening who kind of maybe not going through something similar that you experienced in high school, but is, you know, grieving the loss of the loss of a loved one, sorry, or just is confused about where to go with their own mental health. Like, what would you want to tell them right now? Oh gosh, that's so, that's a, an, a juicy question. <laughs> um, I think it kind of comes down to, you know, not only sharing what you're feeling with someone you trust, um, but also kind of, you know, following your gut. If, if you're someone who wants to get into advocacy, um, you don't, you don't have to be someone who's grieving or someone who knows anything about mental health um, to be a supporter and, and an ally to those that are struggling. Um, And so if you have any any inkling or desire to get into the world of mental health advocacy, just do it. Um, it can be, it can be hard. You can hear some things 
that then you may need to go process with someone else. Um, and, and so knowing that there can be challenges to it. Um, and then I, I've talked a lot, I think, you know, on our Instagram and with others kind of about protecting your peace as well. Um, and, and when you feel that you can't talk about mental health anymore um, because it's not serving you and it, it's not peaceful, it's okay to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's okay to set those boundaries. Um, and then if, you know, if you're, if you're listening and you're struggling with mental health, knowing that um, it, it's okay to not be okay, um, it's okay to ask for help. Um, and there's incredible resources out there, no matter where you are. Um, you know, in the world of technology, you, you don't even have to talk to someone. You can text them or email. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers that. No, it did. That was great. Yeah, exactly. It's okay to not be okay. And I mean, some people benefit from the fact that their face is not seen. Yes. So yeah, a lot of options out there. Where, where um, can my viewers find you, keep up to date with you and Benson, all of that stuff? Where can they find you? Yeah, so most actively we're on Instagram. It's at Benson up north. Um, you know, we're at the north of uh, the United States. So mm-hmm. that's how that came. Um, we have a small TikTok and a small Facebook. They're also Benson up north. Um, that's the best way to kind of get in touch with us and, and follow our journey. Um, we do a lot of... Um, fundraising for mental health organizations, advocacy work. You can see that throughout our, throughout our Instagram. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the best way. There's also, you can email us at bensonupnorth at gmail.com if you have questions about therapy work and Instagram doesn't work for you. Perfect. And I'll put those links down below. Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. today. This has been a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to all my listeners, I will see you guys next time.